Welcome to The Winsome Creationist, where we explore God's world using a model-building approach, interact with a gracious tone, and take a firm stand on the literal truth of creation found in God's Word. Join host Steve Schramm and occasional guests as they explore the mysteries and majesties from creation to the flood, Babel to the cross, and everywhere in between. And now, here's your host. Hello, my friends, and welcome to another episode of The Winsome Creationist. Did you know that there are multiple creation myths from the ancient Near East? Did you know that some people think that uh, in that time period that the biblical writers would have actually copied specific details from those and maybe even copied it wholesale from those other ancient myths? And and some people actually believe that those things are all part of the same kind of thing and that uh, the God of the Bible never existed just as the God of the Enuma Elish never existed or the God of the Atrahasis myth never existed Etc. We're going to talk a little bit about that today. What I want to give you is a very high-level overview of this idea of do these other ancient Near Eastern myths that exist, these creation myths, do they cast doubt on Genesis? That's what we want to talk about. And uh, we're not going to get too deep into the like specific similarities and differences of these. Although I found a great article online that I want to link you to from somebody who is an expert in biblical archaeology. And uh, I'm even going to try to get him on the podcast, I think, to talk about this a little bit in the future. So I'm excited about that and excited to introduce you uh, to this topic because it's something that uh, in recent days has really, really picked up steam. Now, when I first got into creationism, the, the, you know, this was back in like 2016, 2015. Uh, there was a lot of talk about Dr. Hugh Ross and the old age creationist sort of progressive creationist movement. And what I found is that in the, in the first couple of years, so like by about 2018 or so, uh, some of the popular discussion, especially as it relates to the work that Hebrew scholars were doing, had actually shifted from thinking in terms of old age creationism and progressive creationism, even though a lot of that still exists. There, a, a big shift happened thanks to the work of guys like Dr. John Walton that uh, led people to start thinking that maybe the Bible, Genesis 1 and um, Genesis 1 through 11, in fact, and, and all these things, maybe they were less about uh, what really happened in the cosmos during creation and those early years of humanity. Maybe they were less about the specific details of what happened and um, more about a theological message that God wanted to share with his people. And the reason for that thinking was that in the Bible, you obviously have uh, the biblical writers lived thousands of years ago, and they didn't have the sort of scientific mindset that we have today. And so a lot of criticism rose up, even of those in like old age creationist camps, um, for example, who would want to say that Genesis 1 is actually describing basically the Big Bang. It's what a, a biblical writer would have used, that sort of imagery um, or language, to, to describe uh, the Big Bang. And this is a view, again, known as concordism. We discussed that very briefly in my episode on the Adam framework. And um, so there's this idea that perhaps the biblical writers were, um, uh, the things that they wrote would actually match up to real events in, in history, um, even if it was 
way ancient history, like, you know, over millions of years. And that view, as I got into creationism um, and, and learning more about theology and, and the Bible, started to wane. And it, it waned in favor of this view that the Bible doesn't really have anything to say at all about the age of the earth. In fact, it really doesn't have anything to say as far as the details about creation. It's all about the theological messaging of the chapter. And again, this work really started to come out with guys like Dr. John Walton. And, and what, what they did is, is they brought out some of the thinking from, uh, from their scholarly studies that had led people to believe that the Bible was a lot like these other myths, even though it was a lot different as well. Um, it was different in its theological messaging, and yet it, it sort of had the same purpose. And what's crazy is that now, so fast forward as I'm recording this, is 2023, there seems to be a sort of uh, split where you've got a lot of Hebrew scholars saying that, yep, uh, Genesis 1 talks about six days of creation, Exodus 20.11 affirms that, and that literally is true. And then on the other hand, you've got, yep, Genesis 1 uh, talks about the days of creation. It was six literal days. That's how they thought of it. That framework is, again, um, uh, you know, a, uh, a re repeated in Exodus 20, 11, um, which is when God basically, you know, gives them the dictum to work seven or work six days and rest on the seventh day because God rested. And that's th the framework that they used, but it wasn't literally true. Okay. They weren't literally looking back to those Genesis days and saying, yeah, this is how it happened. It's no, that's the story. And now we're going to model our week uh, based on the story. And that's the real big divide. The big divide is is not over now how to take these uh, passages, at least in Hebrew scholarship circles. It's more about, are they literal? Do they really happen uh, the way that they said it happened. And a lot of appeal is made to these other creation myths to sort of show the, the nature of these types of things. So that's sort of creation across the ancient Near East. You, you had different views of what the, of basically cos, cosmogony, which is basically the history of the cosmos, across these different cultures. Now, one of the things that I feel like we need to get into right away is this idea that the biblical account should be taken as historical truth, whereas the other myths should not be taken as historical truth. And there is a really big difference if you actually read Genesis and then you go read these other creation accounts that people often compare to Genesis. If you actually read them and you look at them, you will see a few stylistic similarities. And we're going to talk more about this in a minute. But you'll see a few stylistic similarities and some people, again, point to those and say, see, it's the same exact kind of thing, right? But if you look closer, you are going to see far more differences, I think, than you will see similarities. And the differences will be far more stark and far more significant than the similarities. So that's an important thing to look at as you begin researching this topic of other creation myths in the, in the ancient Near East. Look, this is not something that is creationist we need to be afraid of. It's not something that we need to shy away from. I think we need to engage with the best ancient Near Eastern and Semitic and Hebrew scholarship on these issues. Um, and and fortunately, there are many who take a traditional young age creationist literal approach to 
the text and uh, are very well versed in ancient Near Eastern life and worldview and thinking and ancient Semitic studies. So uh, we're not alone here. We have many people who are on our side who are well informed of these issues. And so that's why it's something that, yeah, I definitely think we should be talking about it and we should be dealing with it. And I want to deal with this a lot more um, in the podcast as time goes on. All right, let's talk about the date of authorship and this idea of polemical theology. So what what some people may not have ever given thought to is there's a difference between the time when ideas were uh, thought of, shared orally, potentially, potentially even uh, first sort of written and recorded on tablets, um, and the idea of them actually being penned into authorship later on, okay? So for example, a lot of these other creation myths, actually their writing, as far as the best evidence we have, predates the time when Genesis was actually written. And that's even if you take the view of mosaic scholarship, okay, or uh, mosaic authorship, excuse me. So even if you're of the persuasion that... um, Moses authored the uh, Pentateuch wholesale, you know, except for the verses about where he died and stuff like that. Um, you know, yeah, we're not talking about anything like liberal JEPD theory or any of that. I'm leaving all of that off the table. Even in that circumstance, you definitely have these documents uh, by Moses written later than some of these earlier documents. And it's like, well, does that matter? Well, again, it it doesn't really matter, but a lot of people seem to. Uh, think it does. So just have that in your mind that a lot of these things, uh, not all of them, but some of them were written before the time that the biblical account was written. Now, does that mean, okay, does that mean that the biblical creation story copies from these other myths? The answer to that is no. But there is a unique way in which they are related. And a great book that I would advise you to read on this is John Currid's Against the Gods. And in this book, he details um, his, his view of, of what is called polemical theology. And a, a polemic is when you design your literary, you know, your writing. It's when you design that in a particular way so as to um, actually adopt or cast uh, shade on a different view with your own. So what's it, a, a good example of this? A good example is in Egypt— when we have the biblical accounting of the the plagues against uh, Pharaoh and against the Egyptian people. Okay. Each of these plagues were actually casting shade on or dissing, right, if you will, uh, Egyptian gods. Now, did the events literally happen that way? Yeah, I believe so. But also, there's the way the events happen and then there's also an element of storytelling that happens with that and actually how the tale is retold and it's retold in such a way to make particular points. You know, for example, um, we do this in everyday life. This is not like a nefarious thing. It's not lying. It's not embellishment. It's not even really hyperbole or anything like that. Um, when we're telling stories, depending on who we're telling a story to, and what the circumstances are, you might emphasize one point of it for this audience versus for this audience or whatever uh, in order to make a particular point. Okay, in this case, with polemical theology, we see this all over the text. Um, one one place later on that we see it is that Yahweh is referred to as as, as the cloud rider. 
as the rider on the clouds. Why is he referred to that? Well, in uh, Canaanite mythology, Baal was the rider on the clouds, okay? And um, so what biblical writers did is said, no, Baal is not the cloud rider. Yahweh is actually the cloud rider. And um, so they'll what they'll do is they'll take language that is associated with another god and attribute it to the god of the Bible instead. He's the real cloud rider. Um, another time we see this is in the story of the Elijah and the prophets of Baal. Remember, um, they had Elijah actually like take the altar, like like the the um, the Canaanite prophets couldn't get uh, their altar lit, and Elijah and the people of Israel. Um, what they did is poured water over the fire uh, or over the altar three times and called down from heaven and Yahweh uh, lit up the fire and Yahweh lit up the altar with fire. Well, why does that matter? Well, Canaanite is the uh, Baal is the Canaanite storm god, right? Um, and so he's supposed to be able to control the elements, right? He's supposed to be able to, to deal with fire, and he's supposed to be able to deal with the water. Um, and he was impotent in this situation, whereas the God of the Bible, Yahweh, was not, right? He actually could produce the result that was needed to be produced. And you see instances like this when you look for it all over the Bible. So I, I highly encourage you to read uh, John Currid's Against the Gods. It's a fantastic book and uh, really helps point out some of these things. So, so far... We have, okay, these uh, creation myths do exist. They are of a certain nature, okay? Um, the biblical record does exist. It is of a certain nature. When you read the two and compare them, there are some obvious uh, differences uh, between them and how they are to be taken, and, and we'll get into that. Um, we see that there is a polemical element, so a lot of these things that are written, and, and depending on your view of the authorship of Genesis, um, some people in the flood story see a lot of, like, uh, Mesopotamian polemical stuff going on. Um, I'm forced to question that a bit because of my particular beliefs about the authorship. Uh, a lot of people who uh, take that view would say that the Pentateuch really didn't reach anything at all like final form until um, the Babylonian exile. And I just haven't studied that issue enough, to be honest, to have a whole lot to say about that. I'm not like 100% opposed to it, um, but it, it definitely like there, there's a, a you know, kind of a fine line you have to be careful of between taking that view and falling into something like JEPD. So, uh, again, I want to study it more before I sort of publicly say, oh, yeah, I, I take this view or I take this view uh, on that. Right now, I, I of the uh, tentative belief of, of two things when it comes to the authorship of, of Genesis. Um, Moses, I believe, wrote most of it, and there was definitely some scribal updating that happened. Um we know this because there are place names that were different after the time of Moses that he couldn't have possibly wrote. So we know there was a measure of scribal updating. I have not studied to know exactly what the extent of that is. Regardless, I'm not really worried about it. My personal view is that God is sovereign, and if he wanted to use Moses and a few scribes after Moses, uh, that's fine. If God wanted to use somebody in the Babylonian exile period, you know that's fine too. I, again, I'm just not 100% convinced yet that that was the case. But people who do think that's the case— um, have noted some uh, Mesopotamian polemical elements in there. In other words, uh, some some thoughts where um, the biblical writers are taking specific shots at um, some of those uh, Babylonian Mesopotamian um, elements of of um, you know theological elements. So there is some questions, some open questions there that I think 
need to be considered. So when we're actually looking at these documents, what would some of the similarities and some of the differences be? Well, again, to look at some specifics, because I don't want to just you know read this guy's article to you, I'm going to send you to an article that I think you're going to find really, really helpful. It was written by, again, an archaeological expert named um, Brian Wendell, and um, he details three different Near Eastern creation myths and then compares them similarities and differences with Genesis. And it's a great resource. And I'm going to actually reach out and see if there's any way I could get him on the podcast and maybe talk about this uh, in the future because I think that would be really, really cool. Um, the way that I put it, though, is that when you look at the similarities versus differences, I want to like highly uh, categorize these things right at a high level. So I would say the similarities are some structure. A little bit of similarities in the way the structure is written. Style. So a little bit of a stylistic similarity between the two. And then etiological purpose. Again, etiology is just basically the origin story of a people group. Okay, You definitely have that. Um, Genesis is the origin story of a people group, just like the Enuma Elish is the origin story of a people group. Okay, It's the same exact idea. It helps um, you understand where these people came from and how the world was created, etc., now, as far as differences, you have a difference in what I call reportage, in sociological purpose, and then in the details. Okay, the devil's in the details in this one. Actually, the Lord is in the details in this one, okay? When I say reportage, what do I mean by that? I mean that when you uh, look at these other myths, okay, there is obvious elements in there where it's like, okay, did people really believe this stuff, <laughs> right? Like, do people look? Did people look up at the sky and literally think that the sky they saw was the body of the goddess Tiamat that had been ripped in half kind of thing? Um, this is the sort of thing that you get like in all these other ancient Near Eastern cosmologies to get in, or cosmogonies, I guess I should say, to get into the details of it a little bit. Um, you have warring gods. You have a couple overall themes, right? You have gods warring against each other and creation is a result of that war. Um, it's also about bringing uh, chaos into order. Um, it's also about um, humans basically being like slaves to the gods, uh, to do the bidding of the gods, to do the work that they didn't want to do, to feed the gods. You have all these things going on. So there's a difference in, in reportage in that it's very clear from the whole like history of Israel that even like Exodus 20, 11, pointing back to Genesis 1 is a great example of this, where everything that happened, it's purported to have happened in real human history, okay? It's meant to be taken as something historical that happened. You're always looking back. You always have people looking back to their forefathers and the ancestors before them. If you get into the New Testament, you know, how many times does Jesus and then other writers of the New Testament actually co-opt, okay, uh, stories of the Old Testament to make their point, okay? You've got Jesus compared with Enoch, with Noah, with uh, Adam, with, with all kinds of people. And the idea is, is that these were real people. Everything happened in human historical time. God intervened. God interrupted. God was not the world. He was separate from the world. And yet he intervened and he acted in human history. That's the kind of reportage that is going on in the Bible. In these other myths, you always have a reportage that is not concerned with those things, okay? Um, the gods are often depicted as forces of nature or literally pieces of nature. Um, and so there's there's this uh, continuous worldview, okay? This is uh, Dr. John Oswald. I refer to his book often. It's another one you need to get and read. It's called The Bible Among the Myths. And he talks about this, um, the big difference between a transcendence worldview and a continuity worldview. And the 
uh, writers of the Bible had a transcendence worldview. They believed that God was other than the world, but that God acted meaningfully in the world and that all of human historical experience mattered. Whereas for the nations surrounding Israel, they had a continuity worldview. Okay, they believed that all things were continuous. Um, history didn't really matter. It was just cyclic. It just happened over and over again. You had um, uh, the forces of nature and the gods were often one and the same. I just mentioned Baal being the Canaanite storm god. Um, it, it, they were depicted this way because everything was continuous. Gods and creation were one. It was a more pantheistic sort of view. Okay, so that's reportage. Sociological purpose. Again, the idea, and this is related to what I just mentioned, but uh, the idea is not with uh, these other cultures. The idea is not that these gods really, truly acted in history and and you were really looking up at the sky and seeing the body of the goddess Tiamat. That wasn't the point, okay? The the point was just to teach about their origin, about some sort of explanation for the way things happened, okay? Even if, and there's plenty of evidence, if you actually just look into these different stories, there's little pieces of evidence that show you that, that, it's really confusing to see whether or not they actually took them literally, and I think we need to bias against that view. Um, I think because why? Well, in some cases, you had the same people group that had actually competing stories. Okay, it wasn't necessarily about taking things literally. It was just about explaining particular little 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 things and making particular points for whatever purpose that they had. But the purpose wasn't that God, the God, the Creator God, was acting in human historical history. That is a unique position to the biblical writers. Okay. And then in the details, again, all of these things, there's similarities in the, in the, in the macro, a few, but when you get into the details, it's way different. When you look at the details of how Genesis is written, it's entirely different than the way these other um, documents are written. Let me give you this quote from Dr. John Oswald. He said, quote, in these other views, there are no gods. There is no continual creation on the primeval plane that this world only reflects. There's no conflict between good and evil or between order and chaos on the medical physical level as the precursor to creation. Sexuality plays no part at all in creation. There is a high view of humanity, not a low one, and so on. Right. So this is Dr. John Oswald talking about the big overarching difference between Genesis and these other uh, creation myths. Uh, Let me read it again, just to make sure that you're very clear on where we're going. So again, creation as reported in the Bible, there are no gods. There's no continual creation on the primeval plane that only this world reflects. There's no conflict between good and evil or between order and chaos on the medical physical uh, metaphysical level as the precursor to creation. Now, does good and evil happen? Yes, but good and evil is not sort of what creates, right? It's not part of the creative process. Sexuality, continuing on, plays no part at all in creation, whereas the sex among the gods is actually a huge part of other creation myths. And then there is also a high view of humanity in the Bible, not a low one, and so on, end quote. So very important to realize that the differences but you know between these far outweigh the similarities so i would encourage you to do that get the books bible among the myths get the book against the gods and then go to this link that i'm going to share with you on the three near eastern creation myths and sort of how they relate similarities and differences to the bible fantastic article written by brian wendell that i think you are uh, really going to enjoy and uh 
you know, I wonder as we close out here, you might ask, well, where do we draw the line here? Like, how much ancient Near Eastern worldview can we accept when it comes to the biblical account? Well, I hope to actually be having discussions along these lines uh, with lots of biblical scholars here on the channel as time goes on. For now, I would just say this. We don't need to be afraid of the ancient Near Eastern worldview. Why? Because the Bible was situated in the ancient Near East. Okay? Israel was far different from her neighbors. Far different. But she still lived in that same cultural milieu, in that same time period. And so, obviously, a lot of, um, you know, of Israel's people were greatly affected. All throughout the Old Testament, you see this, greatly affected by the worldviews, by pagan worldviews, frankly, of these other cultures. And so we must not fail to reckon with the fact that um, Israel uh, was situated in a particular time and place, and the Bible was written in a particular time and place. That said, we also must never Pretend that the Bible is is like on a laying, level playing field with these other uh, documents because it's not. It doesn't purport to be that way. It doesn't claim itself to be that way. And when you just look at it, it's not that way. It's completely unique. Why do you think that we're not all Baal worshipers, but here in 2023, there are bazillions of Christians across the planet and there has been all for, you know, of human history. There's something different, something very different about the Bible in general, across the board, that does not even invite comparison with these other worldviews. And so we must we must keep those two things in tension. And I know sometimes those details buck against each other. You might look at one detail over here and then, you know, one little detail over here and they and they seem to conflict. But I, I suggest to you that if we had all the information, they wouldn't conflict at all and it would all make a lot of sense. So we must be careful to keep those two details in conflict or in tension. And um, we can affirm them at the same time and we should. The Bible is special, and yet it was written by our particular people during a particular time period who held particular views. And as we explore the Bible and, and God's world together, we'll reckon with those two things, and um, we'll uh, try to get to the truth. All right? God bless. Love you guys. Thank you for being a listener to The Winsome Creationist, and we'll catch you on the next one.